Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays on CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. Tonight, I have a guest whom I've been waiting so long to have her on the show because I'm very excited about her book. Her name is Mawia K. L. Jaman Bomani, which I think I got right. She's an award-winning writer award-winning writer, educator, and spirit woman. She is an eighth-generation witch, a good medium, and priestess of Oya in the Yoruba system of spirituality. Mawiya is the host of the Fish Heads in Red Gravy podcast. Her writing has appeared in numerous anthologies, and she has written several plays. She lives, writes, and conducts Orisha rituals, spiritual consultations, workshops, house cleansings, and divinations in northern and southern Louisiana. You can visit her at mawiyakeljamabomani.com. And I slow down because, as you notice, I messed up. And because I'm so excited to have you on the show, and then I'm like, no, 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 I need to slow down. Uh, How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, what people don't know is like we we we've been interacting online a lot. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of very cool friends in common, um, <laughs> but we've never met until today officially uh, mm-hmm. in person. And what people don't know, and what you don't know, Maria, is how I screamed with joy and happiness. When Llewellyn asked me to write a praise for your book. Oh, thank you. And then, and then the journey began for me because, first of all, to be asked to to read a book in advance and to write a praise, it's like surreal for, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm just Laura. <laughs> you know? So it's like, <laughs> wow. Um, but then... Um, as a magic practitioner, as a witch, as a witcher, as a priestess of the goddess, um, coming into the pagan community and looking like this. And for some of you that don't know me, I'm very uh, medium dark brown, so very indigenous face. And everybody and their cousin Mawiya asked me if I did Santeria, if I did Hoodoo, if I did Voodoo. And I'm like, no, not every person that is brown is doing this kind of practices. So I kind of sort of was upset, but this, not with the practice, obviously, but with the people assuming. Mm-hmm. When people assume. And I kind of shy away from learning about this practice because I'm like, man, like, stop assuming I practice that. And by the grace of the goddess and by the magic of the calabash, uh, I get asked to read your book and to write a praise. And man, this was the perfect door for me to learn about this beautiful, beautiful discipline, labor of love that is this practice. Mm-hmm. But before we jump into the book, Thank you for inviting me to write a, a praise for your book. Well, thank you so much for doing it. Mm-hmm. And tell me, how did you get into this practice? How how did you learn about yeah yeah Abash, the hoodoo? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, growing up um, in New Orleans, um, on both sides of my family, there New Orleans itself is its own. We always call it the most African city in the states, right? 
And so with that being said, um, on one side, on my mother's side, there was a lot of Sea Islanders, Yichi, Igbo people from Africa. And then on my father's side, my father's um, side is Honduran. And so there was a lot of um, intermingling of the of the culture, right? And so understanding, I, you know, there was always teaching about our African beginnings and um, how we had to survive um, enslavement. You know, we didn't have our own doctors. You know, no doctor came to see you unless, you know, they were coming to see whether or not a woman, you know, was able to have children or a man was able to, you know, procreate. And that sense of the word, you know, that was the only time. So we had to have our own medical practitioners. We had to have our own people to help us with therapy, to help us with being enslaved, being sold off, you know, husbands and wives and children and things like that. And so Hoodoo became a liberation. You know, it became this revolutionary magic, this art that helped save us and helped us to be able to, um, you know, fight against oppression as well as to gain some sanity in all of it. And, um, you know, growing up, you just would always hear stories. You would always, they always wanted us to remember our roots. That was very important. You know, living in the States, being in the States, you know, you never were supposed to forget where you came from, you know. And so that was just, it was just, you know, infused in us. So there was a lot of, you know, going to the, you're going to church, but then you would also practice hoodoo. You would practice Vodun culture. You know, you know, one side of my family was Catholic. One side of my family is Baptist. So, you know, it was just a mixture of all of it. But within it, we had to still remain very African in our, in our retention. And so it was just part of who we were. It was, it was an understanding that this is how we survived. And this is how we will continue to survive because racism and oppression has gone nowhere. You know, as much as we would like to, you know, examine life and to say that things are different, we're constantly reminded that they are not. They are very much still here. And so how do we how do we deal with that? And so for me, I've always leaned on hoodoo, you know, in addition to, of course, your racial work and the Yoruba studies and things like that. But hoodoo is one of those um, practices where it pulls everybody and it doesn't matter what your other practices are. We can all unite under this umbrella to use it or still for liberation. And how important that is, and I thank you for mentioning that magic was a tool to fight oppression because a lot of people don't know or they're well deep within their privilege to not understand that black and brown magic right tool of freedom and liberation right right and that, that we don't have the privilege to say oh i i am pagan i'm spiritual but i don't practice i don't do spells i don't do magic. right right and we are like what like why do you right you know, right, right, like, right you know because i was always taught you know the magic that we do black and brown people it has to be a part of activism there is no separation we don't we can't just talk about fairies and you know all this kind of stuff we have to really be about the business of activism with our magic and you know oftentimes you know you read things online when people say well why do you i don't i just want magic i don't want to hear about all that other stuff but we don't we don't we don't have that like you said we don't have the privilege of saying that we can separate it you know our magic is our activism you know, because we're still fighting, you know, and we don't, we, we just can't, we can't separate it. No, it can be separated. And we have some folks who are not looking like you and I, mm -hmm. yeah, that are utilizing magic and magical practices in the name of some very sacred traditions mm -hmm. as their flags to perpetuate oppression and, right. and i know i know because i have very good friends of mine who are part of the heathen um culture the mm -hmm, heathen mm -hmm. practice that are very actively dismantling this idiots and and this practices and taking the name of their say i mean odin was the right, old right. father not that just some of them father mm -hmm. um and i appreciate that those folks who are um Paying attention to that are dismantling or trying to dismantle the racism of right, right. the pagan community, but we cannot separate our practice, like you said, uh, our spiritual practice. Or in my case, you know, I'm a feminist witch, so I cannot not be a feminist witch. I cannot not 
utilize my magic for freedom, liberation, and empowering. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. We, we just don't have that privilege. And it mm-hmm. comes from uh, our indigenous roots. And it comes mm-hmm. from the upbringing because we were enslaved as well. Right, People right. don't realize that uh, Latino, I hate the word Latino, Mexican, I'm, I'm going to talk about my mm-hmm, origin. Mm-hmm, Mexicans, mm-hmm. we were enslaved 200 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're still fight. We're still fighting to decolonize our minds, right? You know, our spirits, right? And and how important it is that I mean, I feel very proud to speak with you right now about this and to mm-hmm. say yes, mm-hmm. magic is about freedom, it's about liberation, it's about yes. power, yes. Mm-hmm. and it has to be used. And uh, when people have, like I've heard, you know, like the, the famous "do no harm." Uh, do no harm, but if I need to defend myself, I right, <laughs> right, right. I agree because you know, listen, we we have gone through some stuff, you know, as people, um, and so, you know, I think I find it oftentimes people will say, well, you know, you shouldn't do your mad, use your magic for harm, right? You, uh, but you don't through what my people have been through, and how we still have to, you know, defend ourselves you know, in a world that, that, that will say, you know, just do this and do that and you can make it. And then you still are bombarded with all of these racial issues, right? You're still told that you're not accepted, you know, no matter how many degrees you have, no matter, you know, how many letters are behind your name, how many zeros on your check, you know, you're still treated as a second-class citizen. And in some cases, not even that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Sometimes my magic has to show up in a harmful way to defend who I am, you know, and to defend my right to my own life, you know. So yeah. there is no, for me, I don't, I don't, I just, you know, I, you haven't walked in my shoes, so you don't know, is what I say to people when they say that. Because it's easy for somebody, like you say, who is privileged, who's never had to live that life to say, oh, well, you know, it shouldn't be about that. We can just do this and, you know, just, um you know, move this person out of the job, you know, who's affecting you, you know, as opposed to, you know, doing something to them, but they're doing something to me, trying to stop me from being able to feed my family, take care of my family. And it's a different thing than you, you know, this person may be losing their job. I may lose mine and I may never have another one, you know, in, in, in the, in the long run, you know? So, I mean, there, are, I just think that for a lot of people, they don't really know how we live and how we what we've had to endure and are still enduring, and so it's easy to say, do that, you know, because you haven't lived in our in our in our life in our skin, you know, you don't know. You know, you know I was so, just yeah. I was just talking to a friend of mine a few hours ago about these theories of alternative universes and other dimensions and different worlds, and I'm like. Are their eyes not open? Because right. the different dimensions and the different worlds and the different planets are right here and they're all together. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the reality for you and I, as mm-hmm. you mentioned right now, if I lose my job, mm-hmm. I might not be able to get another one. Right. If I get canceled, mm-hmm. that's it. Right. Whereas other person can get canceled three, four, five times and still have an income mm-hmm, and still mm-hmm. have a practice and mm-hmm. still have forgiveness because, you know, it's okay. You know, they, they have a right, right, right. or a you mental know, disability. Right. Recently, I was looking at the article. I'm sure you've seen it where the lady, she was writing these bad reviews for these writers, these two um, writers of color. And you know, they came out in defense of their work, you know, and they were saying, you know, that, you know, we don't like this, you know, and she started saying that she has mental health issues. That's why she was doing these things. And, and so when they were still like, they were not accepting that, you know what I'm saying? They were saying, no, no, that doesn't work. So your mental health issues make you a racist, you know what I'm saying? And people were attacking them for not allowing her to say that she has mental health issues. You know, she didn't know what she was doing, but she's writing bad reviews on people of color and trying to promote her book, which has a person of color on the cover, you know? And so I'm like, you know, it's things like that, you know? And so, you know, when the two ladies were saying that, you know, somebody said, well, why do they care about the reviews? It's just reviews. But they, they were saying, you know, these reviews, yeah, 
somebody may see that five days from now, a year from now and not want my book, you know, and I may lose that, that traction that I have on an audience. So it does matter. And so just things like that, I, you know, and I was thinking to myself, well, if it were the other way around, would they have those same ideas, right? If these people of color were writing this about this white woman, you know, would they then be saying, you know, oh, well, just listen, they have mental health issues. No, they wouldn't say that. So, you know, it's things like that, that you, you constantly see and you know that, you know, the world has not changed. So our magic has to still, you know, facilitate our movements, you know, in that way. And I, I just feel like writing this book, for me, um, talking to a lot of different people, you know, working, divining for men and women and talking about their children in school, it was the same things, you know, we were all experiencing the same things. And so I just felt like I needed to say this, you know, and it was during the time of the pandemic, you know, and people were really feeling boxed in, you know, and a lot of people who were going to church were starting to feel like, you know, the preacher saying or the priest saying, just pray on it, just do this. No, that's not, you, you're not hearing me. You know, you're not understanding, you know, just how deeply rooted this is in my life. And so I just felt like, the shared experiences needed to be examined, you know, and they, I needed to put something out there that would at least give people some options, you know, for some healing. Yeah. And I remember in, uh, you know, how much we cannot walk away from the activism. It mm -hmm. was someone on the, on where, where it overlaps with pagan community and like new age traditions. Mm -hmm. It was a white man, surprise, who mm -hmm. came out and said black people shouldn't be protesting the murder of George Floyd mm -hmm. by saying I can breathe. Mm -hmm. and this is a white man with a turban mm -hmm. practicing yoga mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. somewhere in white America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and he feels with the moral authority to say, you shouldn't say I can breathe. And I'm like, are you going to tell black people how to protest? Right, right, right. Like one, right. one culture was not enough for you to just take. Now you have to take two. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. are we going to be able to mourn? Right, right. That? You know, and for me, it's, a, it's, it's really about um, just silencing, silencing people. You know, taking away your voice, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to, because if I, if I hear it, then I have to examine it. You know, then I have to deal with it. And they don't want to do any of that. So to make it, to turn the tables around on us, but make us feel like that we're the problem. You know, I, at work during all of it, you know, kids were coming to school, you know, there were black kids, there were Latino kids, and they were bonded together, right? They were saying this is wrong. And so you had some white people saying, well, I don't understand why they're, you know, uh, talking about Black Lives Matter. They're wearing these t-shirts there and I, because all lives matter. And I said, well, hey, stop right there because you know that's not what's going on here. We're not saying that somebody else's life is, matters more than yours. We're saying that we're human beings too. And our lives should matter just as much as your life matters, right? In the whole sphere of everything, you know? And so that was, it's always a thing of, you know, trying to twist the language so that you can be quiet. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. know, and nobody, we don't, we, we, we just can't be quiet. We can't be quiet about it. And I feel like that with our, with our magic, you know, moving into spaces um, where we're not seen, you know, not recognized, we can't be quiet. We need to be seen and not as tokens or not as, oh, my little, you know, person over here of color who's doing this. Look, I have one, you know, I'm not racist, you know, not like that. You know, we need to really be acknowledged because our, 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 our culture, you know, our practices, they're valid, you know, and they they offer a lot of healing, not just for ourselves, but for the universe. If people would just examine them and look at them and allow us to do our thing, you know, and not try to um, take it and make it something else, you know, commodify it or make it just, you know, this little fad, you know, where everybody can do it. You know, like you say, the guy with the turban who's doing yoga, you know, I saw some people recently, they were doing it, but they didn't want to call the sutras by their name, you know, they wanted to Christianize it because they thought that the sutras, by calling them by their name, it's kind of like it's devil worship. You know, how, how are you doing yoga and you're not practicing it as in, the, in its purest form? Then you're going to recreate a practice that already exists, you yeah. know, so yeah. Then just leave it alone. 
then just, just leave it alone. And come with, do some Jane Fonda, you know, stretchings or something. <laughs> exactly. And and you what know. huge rich culture, right? Jane Fonda in the 80s. Right. I feel right. every bookstore and every bookshop yes. and every yes. music store. So I remember yeah. the long place. Mm -hmm. You you have you have your own culture. You have your own yes. way of doing things. Yes. Yes. Why continuously and constantly and consistently? Take, take, take. Mm -hmm. Don't give mm -hmm. credit. Mm -hmm. And then get upset when mm -hmm. we are trying to reclaim. Right, right. And, and tell us how to do it. You know, they yeah. want to sell it back to us and tell us that we're not doing it right. It's our like, stuff. What? <laughs> I've been told, uh, you don't know this about me, but my, my audience knows it. I've been teaching about the indigenous origins of Day of the Dead for 38 years, Mawiya. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 50. Mm -hmm. I started teaching that when I was 12. Mm -hmm. And I have had people come in to tell me that I probably haven't integrated the concept of death or that I'm doing Day of the Dead wrong. And I'm mm -hmm. like, no, no. Right. You, you need right. to, like, not come and tell me how to be Mexican, how to be Mexica. Like, no. Right, 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 right. So, anyway, um, your book is a first of all your book is a labor of love to your people to war people to those who were here before you and i can see how you pour your soul your love into this book for your ancestors and there is a line that you put on this book that I have borrowed since where you said, if you are not of this culture, treat it like you will go into grandma's house and with that kind of respect, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what was the inspiration to write this book? The Sonita book for, for our people, for your people, and then for people. I think for me, it was, like I said, the, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people were contacting me. I was just talking to people randomly, not so much um, clients or things like that, but just talking in general to young women, older women, men, children, about their children. And um, it was just this, this desire to, to be seen and to be heard and to, to feel like, um, you know, they, they understood that we were, that, that for a lot of people, I'm not saying that they didn't, they didn't believe that, you know, racism and things like that were still existing. But I think for a lot of them, since they were not face-to-face um, -face with it, you know, so to speak, you know, for a while, you know, because, you know, you get, you get balled down into social media and all of these things and you, you know, you know, a false sense of the world, you know? And so I think when, um, you know, George Floyd, but even before George Floyd, I think when Trevon Martin, I think um, Sandra Bland, and, and, you know, definitely when a woman was killed, I think that people were starting to see that, oh my God, they're killing women, you know? And then, you know, you have children and people are like, they're shooting in cars, you know, where, where babies are. And so I, for a lot of people, it was this sense of what can we do, you know? Um, spiritually to protect ourselves, you know, even if we want to protest and even if we feel like, you know, we're going to arm ourselves up to, you know, what can we do spiritually? And for a lot of individuals, they just were not getting it from their spiritual leaders, you know, because, um, you know, a lot of spiritual leaders, they are uh, receiving, you know, government kickbacks, right? Because they have churches, right? And so they are in alignment with that. You know, they speak a lot of the, the language that we don't speak, right? They're speaking for, you know, a, a white audience, right? Saying those things to keep their money flowing. And so they, they're just so far removed from um, the, the ideas and the, the, the troubles of the people. And so a lot of people were saying that they needed to have somebody hear them. You know, they needed to know what they could do. And so I was doing some things for my family and for different other individuals in my community. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to just, I'm going to start writing this down, you know? 
And um, I would talk to some individuals. I would say, would, do you mind if I would include, you know, some of the things that we've been dealing with or we've been talking about? And they were, they were, they were full for it. They were like, yeah, if it's going to help other people, yeah, just go ahead, let's do it. And so um, I just started to see that, you know, it was different for a lot of people. They started to really feel that they were in control of their own lives, their own emotions. There wasn't a, as much anxiety, you know, around it. You know, you still understand that there's a fight, right? And that's not going anywhere. But I think um, putting us in a more level space of thinking, then they know how to approach the fight. You know, they 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 feel more um, in alignment with their body, with their spirit. Uh, and so I just felt like I needed to share that with as many people as I could. So I started writing and then I just I just couldn't stop. You know, I would go into different other um, areas. People would talk about this and they would talk about their kids. And then I thought about, OK, well, OK, well, we're going to include them. Then let's include our elders, you know, because a lot of people during the pandemic were, you know, taking in other family members because they couldn't afford the rent, you know, things like that. And people were all living together um, under one roof. And so how do we deal with that? You know, people who can't get to the doctors and they're sick, you know, how do we deal with our children, you know, being bullied, using Zoom and somebody coming into the Zoom class who's not supposed to be there and saying all kinds of things to your, you know, how do we deal with those things? And those are things that, you know, the preachers and things like that, they, they didn't care about, you know, they weren't listening to that. You know, it was like, oh, go read a Bible verse and it'll be okay, you know, until you come back to church or whatever. And so I just, I just saw that for a lot of people, um, they were starting to feel healed in a sense, you know, and starting to feel like they recognized that they could be their own spiritual center. They did not need to go to a church, you know, that they could have that peace within their own homes and within their own families and generationally, right? They could really share that and, and then they could, you know, build community-wise with other individuals of like mind. And I just, I just felt like, okay, if it works for them, then maybe, you know, it'll catch on with other individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are two things that are really important. A, the lack of understanding from preachers and pastors and patriarchal um, religions, Abrahamic religions, that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, we we cannot connect with that, especially no. in, in my opinion. I don't know in your experience, but people of color, we weren't enslaved on the name of right. those right. images, you know? Mm -hmm. So how can you reconcile reconnecting with your ancestors and with the culture of your ancestors and with the freedom and the fight? Because you know when you are practicing magic, all mm -hmm. your ancestors are behind you with their hands mm -hmm. in control there. And then you're going to be praying to the very God that enslaved them. Right, right, There's right, right. there. And the other one that I find, I'm getting goosebumps, the most important, and you mention on this book, and you do not shy away one bit about the sacredness of our bodies, or bodies mm -hmm. that have been subjective, object object objects um or bodies that we have been indoctrinated that we have weird shapes and weird sizes mm -hmm. and weird mm -hmm. colors our bodies are our bodies and we, mm -hmm. we don't connect in a raw form with love with pleasure with right with happiness with joy within our bodies mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how can we exist and not only you don't shy away, but you, you explain the first thing you explain on this book is the calabash and the union of the sacred um, to different uh, sex or genitals or whatever. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it, it is just poetry to be reminded that my body is all right and I'm all right with my body. There's nothing wrong right, with right. the space, the size, the shape, the color, you know. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. to exist to take space and to find the sacredness on joy and on pleasure there's a whole section on sex magic yeah, I you know I when when I started to talk about the body and even in examining the body and how to approach it I'm always reminded of 
of the story of Adabanga, uh, who was from um, the Congo, and he was the man, and he um, he was he was brought to the United States, and he was put in the Bronx Zoo, and he was in there with 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 monkeys, and they claimed that he was in there to clean out the cages, but you know he was in there, and they made money off of him being in there, and you know, when he wanted to return back to the Congo, there was always some issue, right? And he could never return. And and at the end of his life, I want to say he was probably in his 30s, but he shot himself, you know? And, you know, during the time of being in the cages, it was all this prodding of his body. And and so when I, when I went to write that, I thought about his story. I thought about Sarah Bartman, who was from South Africa and you know, the same type of experience, you know, being brought all over the place, you know, to France and to England and and then to have, uh, you know, they keep her, her vagina and her body parts in her brain for years and not to give it back till like the, the early 2000s. And this was like she, the 1800s, you know, they had her body. And so, you know, and her buttocks and all of this, and then, you know, they were made, you know, they just were so enthralled with how she looked. And, and so all of those things, and I think about women today with all of this um, surgery, you know, have their body perfect, you know, these like these Instagram models. And so for me, you know, writing that part, talking about that, it was just about first and foremost, loving and respecting what you already have. Um, and wanting people to understand that we have gone through a lot with our bodies, right? We have been objectified about the way we look, you know, and and then you have these people to say, you know, these things that that you know these shapes are are not appealing. They're they're just ugly and atrocious. And but then you know they're they're sunbathing to get browner. You know they're putting collagen in their lips. You know they're doing all these things that they say that we should not be doing. That we that look ugly on us, and they're trying to do it as well. And so I just I just felt like if I could get people to love what they already have and they could use that because sex magic itself, it all sounds really great. But if you don't have an appreciation for who you are physically, your own physical being, you know, you can't stand in the mirror and love everything about yourself, get butt naked and just love up on yourself. If you can't do that first, then don't even worry about the sex magic part. You know, none of that's going to work, you know, because, you know, it just sounds enticing. But first you have to get over the hurdle of what you have. If it's gray hair, you know, if it's whatever, no hair, if it's, you know, um, I have psoriasis. So sometimes, you know, my skin is scaly, you know, I still love on me, you know what I'm saying? So all of those things, you know, before we even get into the sex magic, and then once you are able to love upon yourself, then you can use the magic, you know, the sensual magic to, to gain some traction in your life and to make those things so that bring that abundance into your life. But you know, none of it's going to work unless you start to love upon you. And for me, you know, I I um I pay homage to Adabanga and Sarah Bartman first and foremost. Um, and I honor the fact that you know that they lived a life that uh, that their body should have been beautiful, right? And 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 the the what they offer to the world, you know, it should have been respected, and it wasn't. You know, and then I, I look at myself and I say, you know, whatever insecurities, whatever ideas that I have, gain weight, lose weight, whatever, whatever goes on, that I am enough, you know. And so with that, I can use my sex magic to bring whatever other abundance I want. If I want to, and anybody, if they want to lose weight, if they want to do some things different with themselves, then do those things, but do them because you really want to and not because you feel like you have to fit a beauty standard, mm -hmm. you know. And so... For me, just like with any other magic, you know, first I have to understand and love myself if I'm going to do this work, this particular work, and then I can move into that work. I always tell people magic has to be something that you deal with every day. It's not just, okay, I need this to happen, so I'm going to go ahead and pull out these tools. In some form or fashion, you're doing magic. You're magical every day. You know, I get my coffee. I'm saying something over my coffee, even the grounds, even the water, right? I am saying a mantra. I am saying something for everybody who's going to drink from that coffee. It might not just be me, maybe my husband, my mom, you know, whoever's going to drink from that. When I'm cooking, you know, I'm saying something, you know, something pleasing, something I'm drawing abundance for all of us. 
And so things like that, you know, make your magic more efficacious as you start to work, you know, each and every day. So you just can't wake up and want magic to open up to you. I always say it's like talking to an, an ancestor or a relative, right? They are more inclined to grant your wishes if they talk to you often. But you just can't call grandma or grandpa, you know, can I borrow? Can I do this? Or can, you know, if you if you talk to them on a regular, then yeah, you'll probably get a lot more yeses than no's. And so this is the same way with the magic. You know, I feel like we have to be um open. We have to open the universe and we open the universe by being a part of it each and every day. Little things. I'm not saying full ceremony. But little things, you know, like the coffee, like going to take your shower and I'm saying words or in, as I'm in the shower or taking a bath, drawing the bath. And I am, you know, squishing the water with my hands and I'm saying all kind of, you know, wonderful things. And and that that opens up the universe to uh, grant me a lot more than not. <laughs> and it's so, yeah. so funny uh, that you mentioned, you know, obviously in the practice, I have learned that. Uh, hoodoo is a daily practice right like you just mm -hmm. say like mm -hmm. you build those relationships with the ancestors on the daily you build those relationships with the spirits on the daily mm -hmm. and quite often when i'm talking to my apprentices or talking with whomever will want to hear me i tell them you know i i think i would never be able to practice like hoodoo or xandaria or ifa or any of those uh, diasporic traditions practices just because i will not be the person that puts the cup of rum and the cup of water and the dish of food every day on the altar that takes a whole lot of dedication discipline and it's a daily practice it's a relationship mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but then something very magical happened because as, as I'm reflecting, as I'm reading your book and I'm reflecting on my practice, I do something magical every day. Mm -hmm. So, yes, my practice has nothing to do with hoodoo, but my practice is a daily magical practice because I listen to the birds, because I look at the trees, mm -hmm. because I mm -hmm. listen to the rain, because I walk and I walk my dog in the rain. I cannot tell my dog is raining. I don't want to walk. He's like, I need to be. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I need to be one with nature, whether it's raining or snowing in Chicago, that dog needs his walk. Right, right. And that is magic. That yes. is magic. And that is connection mm -hmm. with Mother Earth. That is connection with the spirits. The simple fact, Mawia, that we are alive. Yes. It is magic. Yeah. You and yeah. I carry the magic that they couldn't kill. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. We we mm -mm. we are truly mm -hmm. descendants mm -hmm. of the magical people that they couldn't kill. You're right. Not in right. a romanticized way, but in a way that our ancestors put up with mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. to stay alive. So you celebrate every day and you elevate every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for folks that haven't read the book yet, because, you know, the book just came out. Right, right, right. Uh, kind of the elevator stage. What is hoodoo? Because we've been talking about it left and right, but we haven't defined it. Right, what right. Is well, hoodoo itself is a practice where, first of all, when we think about the transatlantic slave trade, when we think about the slave trade in, in general, um, you know, at first they were taking... Um, Africans from one area and then they found that that was not that was problematic because then you have people who could communicate with each other and so it was easy for mutiny and things like that to, to take place so then you started having um, Africans from different areas they figured that that would be something and so they if they can't communicate then they're they're more likely to just you know go along right and so you have these Africans and they're brought to different places not just in the United States, but, you know, South America and all over the place. And so as they start to converge and meet up together and come together on different plantations, um, they understand that there is a common um, thread or theme behind spirituality for them. It may not be the same spiritual practice because they're from different parts, but, and, and even traveling to other areas, picking up some of the, whatever they had there, you know, bringing it with them, 
um, they understood that they needed to have something for themselves. They needed to have a magical practice because they did not want the practice oftentimes of their enslavers, right? Like we already talked about. And so you can hide under that practice, but they still needed something that would help to reaffirm their connection to what was lost. And with that, um, they a lot of the herbs and things like that they didn't have with them. So they needed to find the herbs and the roots here in this, these places where they were that could be a substitute for those herbs. And to even breathe some of that um, energy and from those herbs into these herbs to allow them to have the same sort of usage for them. And so um, it became a liberation. It became a way to help ensure that mothers would be able to deliver their babies. You know, the, the you had the midwives. And so then it became the medicine men, the root workers, the conjurers who would also help with um, if people were running away, the maroons who were running to the hills and in the swamps in certain areas, especially in Louisiana and the swamp areas, you know, um, so that they could, you know, help other people who were trying to go into, you know, leave the plantation. And then with that, there was an intermingling of Native American magic, right? So the Native Americans in New Orleans, um, you know, we definitely highlight the, the, the practices between Africans and Native Americans. And so we do have celebrations where we celebrate, you know, the Native American culture and we have Mardi Gras Indians. And it's a real serious um, understanding that we honor the fact that, you know, we were able to intermarry, um, that we were able to learn about the cayenne pepper, you know, to, so that the dogs could not chase us, right? And so all of these different things. And so it is a practice that for me, I, I, I was always taught that, it enabled us to survive because we had no doctors, because we had no true medicine men, right? We had to do it ourselves. Um, and our spiritual leaders, we we could not depend upon an enslaved form of spirituality. So we had to have our own spiritual um, understanding. Uh, and so it is a blending of all of those, of all of those things, all of those practices um, from wherever, you know, and then some of that European understanding of what was here and blending all that together to create a practice that would free us um, and not and not always um, free us in terms of being free from the plantation, but even a freedom of the mind, a freedom of the spirit, um, which in a lot of cases, even after, uh, uh, you know, Emancipation Proclamation, even after that happened, that people really needed that freedom of the mind and spirit as they traveled through many different, um, you know, parts of the country, looking for their the last remnants of the family that they thought they could remember as much as they could remember. So who do? That's why I always say it's very important to understand it from a perspective of a person of color, because when you have people, I always say, you know, if you're white, you have your own folk magic. You have folk magic. You don't need this, you know, because it is liberation magic. It is magic of people who were, you know, um, subjugated and they were they were you know, treated horribly and they needed this power of this magic to survive. And so if you don't know that story, then you might want to go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, it, and it is clearly, um, again, who's telling the story, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. something that we saw very, in a very palpable way, uh, 2020, 2021 is the dominant cultures try to pit us against each other, mm -hmm. um, brown and black, mm -hmm. or indigenous and brown and black, mm -hmm. when the reality is that, yes, there are instances when the indigenous people didn't want to intermingle, when mm -hmm. uh, one mm -hmm. group helped the colonizer to chase the other group. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. they are few and far in between. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was not the norm. It no, was it more was common that we united and helped each other. Mm -hmm. and, and we created new people. Mm -hmm. And you know, once again, you know, when you, when, you know, when you have groups of people, right, who wants to say they want to fixate on that, once again, it's to silence us, right? It is to take us away from joining together, right? Because if we start fixating on who didn't want to help us or who who did this and who was working with this person, then we miss sight of the real problem, right? The real problem. 
because we're not in control of all of this. Neither one of us, black or brown people, right? We're not, we're not the ones in control of this system of oppression. It's a systematic oppression. And that is not, you know, our doing, you know. So I think when we when we understand that, then we can pull together, you know, and we can pull our magic together. We can, you know, use our magic, you know unified in a unified manner because I you know you you hear that often oh well they they don't like you they didn't do this for you they you know and I just I always I step back and I go hold up hold up hold up you know you're trying to take me off of the real target you know I see what you're doing and that's not working you know because my problem is with the system you know and black and brown people did not create it no and when minorities fight when minorities fight Mm-hmm. The only winner is the oppressor. That's it. That is it. That is the you know? only winner. And and that's not it. They, they not sit back and laugh, right? They can sit yeah. back and laugh. Yeah. And it's you not know, they don't have to do anything because they're saying let them let them eat each other. We don't yeah. have to do anything. Let let them go yeah. at it because you know we have this situation. I don't know if it happens uh, with black people in America and the United States, I don't know if it happens, but I know it happens with Hispanic people that once one is successful is very likely to not help others. And when you see other cultures, like Mm -hmm. Asian cultures, Mm -hmm. they help each other. Mm -hmm. And I've been asked, you know, why is it that the worst enemy of a Mexican is another Mexican. And I say, because it's the colonizer's mind. Right. Is that a mindset of scarcity? If you Uh get some, the other wouldn't get. Or if the other gets some, you are not going to get. That is is the true decolonizing of our mind. Knowing that we can help each other, support each other, and be there for each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that we are not in the times of the colony anymore right right we um we always look at it as we call it internalized racist oppression yeah and so i know like it within in our community you know it's all it's always been a thing of color colorization right and so if you're a lighter skin then you're good you know and if you're darker skin then not so and i remember um applying for this university in the home in my home where i'm from in new orleans and I got accepted to the university. But in the university little pamphlet, there was a little box for you to put a picture of yourself. And I didn't. And so I was accepted, right? And so then they wrote me back and they said, okay, you know, you're accepted. And they had everything, my courses and everything, because I was going pre-med. And so then they were like, Would you, we need you to send the picture, you know? And so when I sent the picture and they said, oh, well, we looked through your transcript again. And so you're not, you're not accepted, right? Yeah. And so, and, and, and so, you know, those things like that, those are things that, that happen often, you know, and, and people don't understand it. The whole idea is once again, this whole, um, this whole theme of, of being closer to white and that is more acceptable. And so if you're closer to white than you, a lot of times, a lot of people, they don't want to help anybody else because they feel like, you know, if I help you, then they're going to see that I'm not one of them, which is the silly thought, but right. But and so I'm not helping you out. I'm not, our fight is not the same fight. You know, you're, you, you know, you're, you're, you, you're dark skinned. So that's your thing. You know, I'm, I'm moving up, you know? And so even in, in, when we look at plantation life and plantation studies and things like that, you had a lot of the lighter skinned people were a lot of times working in the house, or if they were darker skinned, then they were no of no use anymore in terms of, being able to bear children and things like that. And so then you could work in the home, but the darker skinned people were in the fields, you know? And so that was this whole dichotomy, you're better, you know? And so you had a lot of that thinking that they were better. Now we're both enslaved, right? Yeah. But I'm, a, I'm better than you. You know, I get to have the first hand-me-downs. You get to have maybe the eighth generation hand-me-down type of thing. And so, yeah, we have a lot of that. And so it, it really affects, like you were talking about, it affects, how we um how we proceed you know how we attack how we see our common goal as well as our common enemy you know and a lot of times we're fighting each other before we can even get to fighting you know the true enemy of 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 it all 
because it's just an oppressor's mentality. You know, we are all enslaved, right? They just have you believing that you're better, but no, you're not. You know, when the time comes, they will remind you that you're, that you're me. They will remind you that you're me, you know? And, and so how are you going to handle that? I know who I am in this grand scheme of it all, you know, but a lot of times for them, they don't. And so that is um, going back to the school thing. Um, years later, I had my daughter, my oldest daughter, and she applied. I said, apply, apply for this school. I wanted to see, because she's fairer skin. She's she's fair, not not as dark as me, but she's not light skin, you know? And so um, she did she did the same thing like I did. And then she put the picture and she was still accepted. And she wrote a long letter saying that she did not want to go. And she wrote about, you know, then when they didn't accept her mother and all of that. And um, she wound up going to a different school in the city. But it was just that, you know, all those years, and it was still the same ideas that were being propagated, you know, the same separation of people, you know. And and so a lot of people at this school, at this particular school, are really, really light-skinned. We say, we call them passe blanc, you know, they can pass for white. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's and it's an accepted idea, you know, it's still even today. And so for for many people, you know, to just get over that hurdle of seeing that you too are black, you know, you know, you too have have these same issues, whether you want to recognize them or not, you know, you're facing these same, these same problems. But um, for a lot of people, they don't, they, they would rather not, you know, it's kind of like, no, I don't, I don't have to deal with that. You know, that's your thing over there. You know, that's, that's your problem. So yeah, I, um, you know, sometimes it, it's it's hard and it's hurtful sometimes, but for me, I just I just keep moving. You know, I just keep moving. You're gonna see me, you're gonna hear me, you know, and and that's just the way it's gonna be, you know. Yeah. So yeah. And like they say, you know, oh well, this was not a space for people of color. Well, now it is. Does that mean right? It sure is. It sure yeah. is. And the idea that the understanding, Maria, that we're not mm-hmm. talking about a people we're talking about a system yes and that system that is held up by the oppressor hurts the oppressor as well Mm -hmm. because it is incredible for me to think how women that are not women of color keep holding that system up when they too are second class humans because they are yes yes you know yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we we could talk about this for days can you believe we are almost at the top of the hour it is there is no no, i know i know yes we could definitely talk about this forever yeah i do i find that I, i really find that ironic as well and i know for me working as a teacher um in a school where there for 14 years i'm the only african american teacher there there is one other teacher who is my good friend and she's from Puerto Rico and um, it's just been us two, you know, and every time they've ever tried to hire somebody else of color, we were cheering it on and they never get hired. And so, you know, the women, you know, you would think women were saying um, when we were, when all this Trump stuff and all the things that he was saying about women and I was asking some of the women, you know, so, you know, what's, to deal with that so you you're good with that and they were like oh well you know he reminds me of my grandfather I there's no problem with him you know things like that and so you know you would think that for as women you know they would have some kind of allegiance to femininity to womanhood but it really like I always tell my children um you know the alignment is going to be for their people always and so your alignment needs to be for your people you know you know, no matter what happens, no matter how vile it gets, you know, they will pull women along to be a part of a feminist movement, right? As long as they need us, people of color. But when it comes down to them, you know, against their men, they're going to side with their men and they're going to leave us in the dust, you know? And so I, I, me, I understand that, you know, I understand that. I, I wholeheartedly understand that. And I see it for what it is. And so that's why, for me, my allegiance is in writing the book as well. It's to people of color and women and our families. And I I don't see anything wrong with that. People were saying they didn't think that that it would get published. You know, some people were telling me, "Oh my God, really?" When they saw the earlier, you know, the you know, when I sent it out, they were like, 
I'm going to get this blurb, you know, I'm going to endorse it, but I don't know. Girl, are you sure who? You know, and, and so, you know, every time we would talk about it with the editors and with anybody, I would say that I needed this and that to stay in there. I needed, I, you know, I needed it to be just like this because it speaks to the people the way I, that was on my heart. And it speaks to the people the way that my ancestors taught me to do it. And so it has to be this way. And so um, saying, you know, very early in the book, you know, about, you know, if you're white, you know, there are some avenues that you may want to go that's not this route or, you know, I think that for white people, they can understand, they can get a glimpse that it's not stereotypical of people of color, because so often, you know, our practices get written off as just being some mumbo jumbo, you know, and when we do it, right, and it is not taken seriously as high magic, you know, and so I want people to see that this is serious, we do have serious magic, you know, and what we, what we're doing is not to be if written off, you know, it's just, it's to be taken seriously and to be examined and to be, you know, to just to look at it and say, oh, okay, okay, this, this does work. You know, this is, this is their thing. This is their story. This is part of their culture because it's tied into all of that. It's not just a practice. It is a culture, you know, it is a heritage, you know? And so I think that if they read that, read the book, then they will understand us a little bit more better and not you know, just go off of what they see on television or, you know, just something that some rant that they hear on some, you know, news media, you know, that are portraying us as animals or things like that. And to understand that you want to hear the story from the person that is closer to the source. Right. You know, like I'm tired of people who are not indigenous talking about Mexican traditions or the day of the dead or you know, mm -hmm. there's, there mm -hmm. are fewer and far in between that I know that mm -hmm. they have gone down to Mexico mm -hmm. to learn these things firsthand. Mm -hmm. But I know of people who've been writing the books about the Mayan people or the Toltec people, and they have the Aztec imagery on the book. And I'm like, you couldn't right. invent right. that? Like, come on, you know? Right, so right. Go to the source. And I will say this. Every time I have the opportunity, Mawia, Circle Century, Circle Century Network podcast is for me a place where it's safe to bring these topics and to talk about allyship and to talk about um, cultural appropriation and to talk about the issues of black and brown people and indigenous people and to talk about them without feeling like oh we're 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 wrong people we're bad people because we're white no mm -mm. bad mm -mm. people if you uphold the system that is also right. killing you right you right. Know? having yeah. privilege don't make you a bad person why you do no. privilege it might make that's you right. that's right you that's know right but anyway right. i i love chatting with you i cannot believe we're on top of the hour i, I know it, huh? think <laughs> we're gonna have to if anything, you and I have to join for coffee and continue this. We talk. do. We really do. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And thank you for writing an endorsement. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. my goodness. I am good because my ego won't let me go to bed if I don't do it. Let me share with the with the people what yours truly. Mind you, Mawia, they're writing for me in English. It it. I have to be very clear and very concise and to really concentrate, you know, because speaking is one thing easy, mm -hmm. writing it. And I really wanted to convey my sentiments. Conjuring the Calabash fills a blank space in American witchcraft literature. This book reveals the mysteries of hoodoo, making it accessible to understand, practice and incorporate magic in our everyday lives with plenty of exercises, spells, and rituals to experience time and time again. That was yours truly on the prey section of this book. So before we go, because we're going to go over an hour. I don't care. It's my show. I can do whatever I want. Uh, very quickly, are you, I know you're just like starting with this book, going left and right and mm -hmm. all over the place. Um, 
where are you going after today? I mean, we just started the year. What a way to start the year, by the way. You're you're a first right, right. It's exciting, yeah. 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 So where um, are you going? Are you do you have any classes, presentations, events? What's happening? Um yeah, um I'm, I'm probably gonna be working on some classes, some things real soon. I'm still I'm writing, trying to do some other stuff and just trying to work on a second book. <laughs> nice. So um yeah, so I have some things coming up real soon. I, I would like I guess people if they would just go to my webpage and they'll see when things are coming up, or even if you follow me on so well, if you go to my webpage, you can follow me on social media because you can get it quick quickly from there. But um yeah, there's some things that are gonna be coming up. I'm hoping that you know they're still kind of in the workings right now. So I really don't want to say, but you know, still working on a, a second book and hopefully um maybe a tarot deck you know, so that deals with the the spirits and um, the saints, um, that kind of thing. And just like when I was talking about um, Adabanga and Sarah Bartman, those type of individuals, showing people how to utilize, um, you know, in their own culture, in their own background, some heroes and sheroes, and to use them in, in the form of saints and creating altar spaces for them to help them with um, just activism, that sort of thing. So um, just still sticking with that arena of activism because it's still, you know, heavy on my heart to, you know, constantly, you know, just make it um, accessible for all of us, you know, in our children and, and trying to find ways to include the young people more into that as well. Um, my, my, my young son, he loves it, you know, working with everything. And so just doing more of that and right now, just writing, just writing and, and being happy about this book. And really, you know, getting it out there for people. So I, I thank you for having me. I thank the listeners and everyone. Um, it's just been wonderful. It's been wonderful. And I am so appreciative for people like you. You're so wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me to read your book in advance, to understand this practice, to really, I really truly fall in love with the practice, though it's not what calls to my heart. Of course, I'm an indigenous woman, but mm -hmm. I truly fell in love with the beauty of it all. It's, it's mm -hmm. a labor of love. And I think I've said love a million times on the show. <laughs> because it truly is all about love mm -hmm. to our people, to our ancestors, and to the practice that they left for us. To right, right. Continue. And um, going a little bit you know, more into what's coming next, I want to invite people to buy your book right uh mm -hmm. go to your local stores get it at your local stores if you cannot get it at your local you go to Mawiyas, go to her website buy from her if you have to buy from the big box that sends stuff everywhere you are gonna do something that is gonna help the author a great deal you gotta go and you're gonna write a little review you're going to give her right. five stars and you're going to tell the people, this is a great book. You have to buy it. And that helps our authors a great deal. If you do a review on Amazon and then there's another uh, place where you can leave the reviews. I can't remember. Is it Goodreads? Goodreads. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, so you go to Goodreads, you go to Amazon, you just leave five stars. It's just one liner. Um, silly me. I thought, you know, I cannot write anything about the book unless I read the whole book. And somebody just told me, like, no, you just give five stars and say this book is fantastic. <laughs> um, so please do that. Support your local bookstores and tell them to, you know, call Llewellyn and get it to their local bookstores. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, there's also a book collaboration in which you and I are together, my friend, which is uh, Dream Witchery. And yes. My dear friend Elo, Elohim, mm -hmm. uh, he's going to be on our show in two weeks. So we also going to continue to talk about, you know, the magic of uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. South American people, the diaspora people, the people of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Latin descent. I hate the word. Yeah. I hate the word Spanish. Latin descent or, or mm -hmm. Latin ancestry. And I'm going to try something new this year. I'm going to tease you a little bit with the shows that are coming next. So on February, we're going to have Jamie Della and we're going to have Christine Cunningham. So Lunatic Mondays is doing good things <laughs> this year. 
and thank you for being the first, Maria. And for everybody, please listen to CSMP, the Circle Saturday Network podcast. We have over a thousand hours of podcasts that you can listen, download, and share with your friends. Every month, we have two Tuesdays a month, Circle Talk with Deborah Rose. One Wednesday a month, we have Circle of Nature with Reverend Selena Fox. Two Fridays a month, we have song, um, Songs of the Pagan Tribe with Karen Greenman. And every Saturday, we have Paganos del Mundo, Pagados del Mundo on Spanish and Portuguese with Christian Ortiz, Carolina Moore, Monica Govin, Laura Gonzalez, Harwood Tuileva, and Patricia Finkler. And then, of course, two Mondays a month, we have Lunatic Mondays. And I am always forgetting, one Friday a month, we have Blue Marble with the amazing Charlotte Bear. So lots and lots of shows on CSMP. And this is a labor of love. Nobody gets a penny. We all just love doing it. And we love to share uh, good, good content and education with you. So please listen and help us boost the signal, uh, like our pages and all of that. You know how it works. Thank you so much, Maria, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And um, to everyone who is listening, thank you so much for listening. And I'll leave you the microphones, Maria, so you can say good night to the audience tonight. All right. Good night, everyone. I enjoyed it. Love you much. Peace. Love you very much, everybody. You know, I always tell you, never forget that you are loved. Bye-bye. Lunatic Mondays is a production of Laura Gonzalez for CSN Podcasts, building bridges of community around the world. Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash CSN podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. Until next time, many blessings.